Thanksgiving. What is Thanksgiving? Of course, as we, um, in the Bible study hour, as we ask the definitions, ask kids to give us definitions, they always define the word, you know, with a word, and it's a wonderful experience. It's very enlightening. But if we were to say, what is Thanksgiving? I know the answer I would have given. It's the giving of thanks. <laughs> what is Thanksgiving? The giving of thanks. Well, really, you know, Thanksgiving is simply an acknowledgement of gratitude. An acknowledgement of gratitude. You know, being thankful is so important. You know, when we teach our children to speak, when we teach them as they're first learning to talk, and we're right in that stage with our youngest, and he's starting to string words together. But one of the first words we teach him to say is, please. They are always wanting things, aren't they? Little kids, they're always wanting things. Big kids, too. But little kids, you know, they come and they want, you know, and they, and they make their sounds or their gestures. And we as parents, you know, we get that. We, we become very expert interpreters of grunts, groans, squeals, and screams, you know, before they can start expressing themselves in language. But we teach them to say, please. And as soon as they've got that one down, we teach them to say what? Thank you. Well, you know, Little kid comes to, little Josiah comes to my room, I'm at my desk, and he knows that I've got a stash of gummy bears up in my top file cabinet drawer, and, and he comes and points, and, you know, he starts to say gummies or bears or something, he wants it, and so I say, what do you say? And he's learned that I expect him to say please, so boy, he's out with the word please, so I get one, and I'll give it to him, and, but now I'm at that stage before he, well, if I can catch it, before he puts it in his mouth, I don't want him talking with food in his mouth, of course, because that's bad manners. But anyway, I say, say thank you. And he's, it's, it's becoming more intelligible. But gratitude, expressing gratitude, thanksgiving, appreciation. And, of course, this week we have this holiday that's been established called Thanksgiving. And, you know, for some... It really doesn't mean a lot. It simply means it's the day before Black Friday. You know, <laughs> and, you know, but for us as believers, Thanksgiving, I think, really is a great holiday because Thanksgiving is something that should be characteristic of every one of us. We as believers, as children of the King of Kings, we have so much for which we should be Thankful. Thankful. You see, true thankfulness reflects humility. Or I might say it this way, true thanksgiving, true thankfulness requires humility. Humble people are thankful people. Prideful people are not thankful. So true thankfulness really requires humility. You think about it. When we express thanks, and we should be doing this all the time, of course, not just at Thanksgiving or, you know, when you dutifully write your thank you card back to grandma for the birthday present or the Christmas gift that she gives. Um, but what is this giving of thanks? It's an acknowledgement of the grace of the giver. 
And you know, we have opportunities every day to be thankful. How many of you kids had breakfast this morning? Anybody have breakfast this morning? Now, some of you, I understand, had to fix it yourself. It was difficult. And you almost starved. But I, I'll probably be correct in assuming that your dinner will be prepared for you by your mother. And when you eat that meal, before you get up from the table, do you express your thanks to the one who prepared the meal? Or do you just get up and take off, leave your filthy dish on the table and go out to play? Okay. But there are, like I'm saying, there are opportunities for all of us to be thankful many times a day. And it is good for us as parents to train our children to be thankful. You know, there are people, and we've all been around all kinds of different people, but isn't it refreshing when you're around someone who expresses gratitude and it's genuine? Thank you so much. Thank you for thinking of me. That was, you know, that meant a lot to me. Thank you very much for what you've done. You know, that kind of person really is a delight to be around. Their attitude is an attitude of thanksgiving. And so true thankfulness really requires humility because when we are expressing thanks, what are we doing? We're realizing and acknowledging that what was given to us was not deserved. Let's go back to lunch, kids. You say, well, I expect lunch today. When I get home from church, I expect mom to feed us. That's her job, right? Well, she may do it, but she does it because she loves you, and she doesn't have to feed you. Okay? And so you express thanks. Thanksgiving is an acknowledgement of the grace of the giver. How many of you seven-year-olds go out shopping and buy your own clothes? Yeah, no, that didn't happen. Your parents provide you with clothes because they love you. That's grace. Okay? And you say, well, I don't really think about that. No, we don't think about those things because we just expect them every day and we take them for granted and we miss opportunities to express thankfulness. And what happens? We become proud. This is a proud child. I'll give you an example. Mom, what's for dinner? Come on. I mean, it's already 5.45. I'm hungry. What are you going to make me for dinner? Anybody ever heard a kid talk like that? I'm sure not, never in this church. But, but there, what is that? That's an attitude of pride, an, act, an attitude of I expect you to serve me. That is not an attitude of humility, is it? And so true thankfulness requires humility. The giving, the giving of a gift. Think of it this way. The giving of a gift or a benefit renders the recipient a debtor. When you're given something, it's almost like you're a debtor. You didn't deserve it. It was a gift. Someone provided you with something that you didn't work for. And David, in Psalm 116, in the Old Testament, Psalm 116, David said this. Psalm 116, verses 12 and 13. 
David says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all of His benefits toward me? How can I repay God? What is David expressing in this verse? He is saying, God has given me so many blessings, so many benefits. How on earth could I repay? What is that demonstrating right there? There's an attitude of, hey, I am indebted. I have been given that which I did not deserve. I have been given that which I did not earn. I owe something to the giver. And David is, has this quandary in his mind. He says, what can I do for God? What could I possibly, how can I, what could I render to him? What could I give back to him for all that he has done for me? In verse 13, he says this, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. He says, I'll take what he has given me and I'll keep going to him and asking for more. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. What do you mean you're just going to keep asking for more? What is David demonstrating? He says, I will take that salvation which he has offered, and I will continue to realize that every benefit comes from him. I don't provide it for myself, and so I will seek it from him. That is humility. The opposite would have been, David says, oh, yeah, I'm a self-made man. David is not taking credit for the benefits. He is recognizing God as the benefactor. He acknowledges the grace of the giver. Now, when we're given a gift, and I say that we're indebted, that does not of necessity mean that that gift or benefit should be paid back in kind. There are some people who feel that way. Oh, well, he gave me something, so I have to give him something back uh, of equal value. And, you know, that is not the right attitude either, because all that is is, no, I can't let him out give me. There's a you know, competition almost, and some people actually live that way. I don't understand that, but the idea that I can't just receive stuff, and uh, but this acknowledging of the grace of the giver, it is the simplest and the most basic response would be a simple acknowledgement of gratitude and appreciation. If a gift is ever given and there is thanks not given in return, that is an insult and arrogance. I always tell our kids, you know, after Christmas, you know, Grandma sends some gifts or whatever. I said, hey, did you guys try thanking it to Grandma? No. I don't know why I have to remind my kids of that. I'm sure no one else ever has that problem, but my kids are kind of defective. They've got a bad gene or something there in the DNAs. But I have to remind them. And, you know, I'll come back a second time, you know, a few days, hey, did you send Grandma a thank you note? And if I get no, you could ask them, what, is, what does Dad say? Okay, you either send a thank you note or what? Or return the gift. Okay. And they write the thank you note, right? We haven't yet had a gift returned to grandma. But you know what? 
That's really the way it is. If you're not willing to express thanks, you shouldn't have the gift. And so that's a, that's a little nice rule you can use as parents. Just a tidbit for you. Here's a tip, parenting tip. Return the gift if they're not willing to be thankful. Um, like I said, we've not had any gifts returned. They're thankful. But we have to train them. We have to remind them. Be thankful. Express your thanks. Now, again, thankfulness requires humility. We acknowledge the grace of the giver, the one who is giving. But also, when we express thanks, there is a recognition of the unworthiness of the recipient. Think about this. I want you to think about this. When you are given a gift, if it is truly a gift, you are not worthy. Let's think about it in terms of grace. Salvation, the Bible says, is by grace alone. What is grace? It is God freely giving us something of his own will, not based on our merit or our worthiness. Are we worthy of salvation? Did God save us because, you know, he just saw so much value in us. He decided, you know, I'm going to save those people. They're worth a lot. No. If that's your idea about salvation, it's perverted, warped, and dead wrong. God did not save us because he looked at us and thought we were so valuable. No. God saved us because we were poor, wretched, miserable, unable to help ourselves, and he, in his pity and mercy, extended grace to us and displayed his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Receiving a gift. Now, when I say when you're unworthy, what I mean by that is, A gift is not deserved. A gift is not earned. Otherwise, it is not a gift. If you tell your children, if you will behave yourselves, you'll get presents under the tree. Guess what you just did? You just made it impossible for you to give your children any gifts. Because now if there's any gifts under the tree, guess why they're there? Because the kids earned them. because they behave themselves. You know, there's that problem with Santa, you know. He knows who's naughty or nice. And the nice kids get presents, and the bad kids, they get coal in their stocking. And Christmas with Santa is works-based. Okay, so be careful what you do. But here again, a gift is given to someone who is undeserving. It's not earned, and it's not merited. Because if it is earned or merited, it is no longer a gift, but a debt that is being paid. If you work at your company for 20 years, and they give you a gold plastic watch for your 20th anniversary with the company, right? Is that a gift? Oh, no. You earned it. And I hope it's better than plastic. But anyway, no, you earned it. It's your 20th year award for sticking it out with a company, you know, or whatever you get. It's not a gift. That was earned. The people that were 19 years didn't get it. 
People who worked 10 years didn't get it. No, you got it because you worked 20 years. Not a gift. So here, when we are thankful, it requires humility because we're acknowledging the grace of the giver and we're acknowledging that we didn't deserve it. We haven't earned it. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 32, beginning at verse 32, it says, For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? Now, it uses that word, thank, and it's not the word we typically would think of there. If you love those who love you, what credit is that, or what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. I'll scratch your back and you scratch my back. Is there any grace there? No. There's a, there's a trade-off. Verse 33, and if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? Sinners also do even the same. And when he says sinners, we're all sinners, of course. But what is he talking about? He's talking about the unbelievers, people that are without God. They, they even act that way. And if you lend, of the, lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye for sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again? And then, of course, by extension, Jesus goes on and says, but here's the difference between those who are my disciples. Who do they love? They love their enemies. They give to those of who cannot repay them. And there's grace. Do you ever note that in the Bible, you never read of God thanking us for anything? Can you believe that? Think about that. God never thanks man for anything. Has that ever occurred to you? Have you ever thought about that? God never thanks us for serving Him. God never thanks us for obeying His laws. God doesn't thank us for anything. Well, I said, wait a minute. What kind of an example is that? Well, let's talk about that. Look at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 7. Which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, Go sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he, speaking of the master, doth he thank that servant because he did those things that were commanded him? I think not. Or that word, I trow not, means I think not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. Why does the master not thank the servant? Because the servant is doing what the servant is required to do. That's his job. How many of you 
employees, when you go to work, first thing your boss does is come to your office and, or come to where you are and say, thank you so much for coming to work. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for coming to work. If they did, you'd look at him and say, okay, um, yeah, glad to be here. What was that all about? No, you're hired to do a job. The thanks you get is the paycheck you get on Friday or whenever you get your paycheck. You are earning something, okay? And they're the boss. They tell you what to do. God does not thank us because we do not add anything to Him. He does not need us. His perfections are not made more glorious because of us. Do we add anything to God? Do we benefit Him? No, He is complete without us. He does not need us. We need Him. The master does not thank the servant for fulfilling his duties. Where in Scripture have you ever seen that God would thank us for serving Him, yet we are commanded to come into His presence with thanksgiving? You know, it's a privilege for us to be able to serve God. It would be more appropriate for you as the employee when you come to work and see your boss or you see the owner of the company, hey, thanks for letting me work here. It's a delight. I love working for your company. Let me tell you something. Can you imagine the look on your boss's face if you did that? You might have to go and grab that resuscitator off the wall and shock him a couple of times. He's probably on the floor stunned. But you know what? As believers, it is our privilege to serve the King of Kings. And when we come into His presence, we're to come into His presence with thanksgiving. I dare some of you try that. Next time you see your boss, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm so thrilled to be able to work for you. Yeah, it's, I, I, now, it needs to be real. If you hate your job, please don't go lie. But, you know, hey, you know, I, I, I just, I really like it. And, you know, thanks for making this, making this job possible for me. You know, you, you know, you provided me with this office and it just, you know, I have everything I need to be able to work here and I love it. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to work here. Man, you, those are the kind of employees that, man, you'll pay for. I'd love to have employees like that. Thankfulness. And of course, God delights for us to come into His presence with thanksgiving. Everything that we do for God is simply our duty. Notwithstanding, our motive for service to God should be what? should be love for what He has done for us. We love Him because He first loved us. Now, as I said, true, true thankfulness requires humility and it reflects humility, but on the contrary, ingratitude obviously reveals pride. Ingratitude reveals pride. It's the attitude, even if it's not the words, it is the attitude that says, oh, I deserve the benefit. I'm worthy of the benefit. You know, I deserve better. You know, you kids, if you do not thank your grandmother or your parents for the gifts they give you, what are you saying? Hey, 
Yeah, I expected it. It's my birthday. I mean, I'm supposed to get presents on my birthday. It's the rule. You have to do this. That's what you're saying. And I dare you. I dare you try that sometime. Tell your parents the day before your birthday, boy, I sure hope you got me a lot of stuff because it's my birthday tomorrow and I deserve it and you're supposed to do this for me. There better be some nice presents here tomorrow. I guarantee you I know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're going to become a year younger, not a year older. You're going to start going backwards. There's, gonna be, there's not even going to be a cake. No presents. Nothing. Now, of course, I would sure you wouldn't have that attitude. But when we're not thankful, that's what we express. That is what we express. And, and, and you think of it this way. Now, this is hard for kids to do. We as adults do this regularly because we're supposed to. It's part of mature thinking. Is you as kids, listen, put yourself in grandma's shoes. What if you gave someone a gift that cost you money? I know you don't even know what money is or the value of it, but you, you know, you've saved up money and you went out and bought a really nice present for your friend and you gave it to them and they didn't even say thank you. They took it, hmm, walked away. How would you feel? Would you feel good about that? No, you'd be hurt. You'd be like, wow, they didn't even appreciate what I gave them. And that cost me money. And your next thought is, I'm never doing that again. Okay? Now, you see what I'm saying? Ingratitude reflects pride and reveals pride. There's a great story in this scripture in Luke chapter 17. Beginning at verse 11. It's a true story. It's not a parable. This actually happened. A lot of times when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he'll tell a story that's a parable designed to teach a lesson, but it's a parable. It's a made-up story. This is not one of those. This is actually a historical event. This happened. And let's look at this story in Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 11. It says, And it came to pass, as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. They were social distancing. Social distancing is a biblical principle if you have leprosy. Uh, this was not the COVID virus. This was leprosy. And leprosy in those days was a very deadly disease. It was terminal. Unless a miracle happened, you would die. And it was a disease, some type of a bacterial infection. It still exists today in third world, some third world countries. And it's a bacteria that's a flesh-eating bacteria, and it really destroys your limbs. And so here were these men, and it's highly contagious. They were, the law said that lepers could not be close to other people. They were, you would contaminate, pass on their disease. And so here were these 10 men. They were afflicted with this disease. Now, they could hang around each other because they all had the same thing. They were ways off from Jesus. And it says they lifted up their voices. In other words, they wanted to be heard. So they were yelling. They wanted Jesus' attention. And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Look on us with pity. Help us. We are helpless. And they're crying out to him really was an admission of what? They couldn't help themselves. 
listen, if they could have helped themselves, they'd have fixed their leprosy and gotten better and got back into society and got a job and gone on with their lives, but they couldn't. They were powerless to fix the problem that was afflicting them. This leprosy, so what did they do? They recognized that Jesus had the power to cleanse them, to heal them, and they called out to him and said, please have mercy on us. They're begging. They knew they didn't deserve it. They weren't demanding that Jesus heal him, heal him. They didn't say, Jesus, get over here right now and fix us. Wow, that would have been prideful. Like, we deserve to be healed. You get over here and no, they didn't. They said, please have pity on us. Look at us. And if you would, could you help us? That's what they're asking. In verse 14, it says, And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, if we go back to the Old Testament, when a person had been healed from leprosy, he had to be examined, not by the local doctor. There wasn't one of those. They went to the priest, and the priest would examine them and see if they had been healed. And if they had been healed, they were cleansed, and they had so many days they had to show their, they were you know, quarantined, make sure they were healed, and then they could reenter society. And so Jesus tells them, Go show yourselves to the priest. He didn't say, oh, you're healed. He didn't say, you know, uh, come here, let me lay hands on you and I'll fix you. And then you can go show. No, he just says, you go show yourselves to the priest. So what is he doing? He's requiring them to take action. Let's see if they believe what he, believe him, if they're going to obey him. And it came to pass that as they went, so all 10 of them turned around and said, okay, the priest, well, a few blocks that way. Well, so they all started walking down the road toward the priest's house or towards the, the temple. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. They were healed. I don't know how many steps they took, but as they turned and they obeyed and did what Jesus said, one of them certainly noticed, hey, look, my disease is gone. My leprosy is gone. Yours too? Here's 10 men. You can imagine the hubbub and all the conversation. And they were just, I mean, you talk about excited. These guys had just been healed. Wow. Amazing. Came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And then verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. There's ten men. They're walking away. As they walk away, they notice that they've been healed. And out of ten, one turned around and ran right back to Jesus and fell down at his feet and said, thank you glorifying God. He knew that what had just happened to him was miraculous. It was a, the gift of life he'd been given, physical healing, and it was precious. He knew he was undeserving. He had just asked for mercy, and Jesus had had mercy on him, and he was indebted, and he came back and just 
just overflowing, gushing, thank you so much, glorifying God. And it says, and he was a Samaritan. <laughs> of, of, of all things, he was a Samaritan. And everybody that knows anything about Scripture knows that there was some yeah, real cultural and ethnic conflict there. Samaritans were half-Jews. They were half-breeds, and the Jews, oh, they did not like Samaritans. And Samaritans responded in kind. Well, we don't like you either. And so there was this continual conflict between Jews and Samaritans. They despised each other. Jesus was a Jew. This man knew that Jesus was a Jew, and he was a Samaritan. And yet, what did he do? He said, I don't care about my culture, my ethnic, whatever. This man, this, this person has just healed me. I'm going to go back and let him know how grateful I am. In the very next verse, in verse 17, Jesus answering, as this man is giving him thanks, what did Jesus say? Were you the only one cleansed? Weren't, weren't there ten? Well, there were ten of you, right? And, and all of you were cleansed. Jesus knew they'd been cleansed. He'd healed them all. He says, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the others? They are, there are not found that returned to give glory to God, save this stranger, not even a Jew. A Samaritan. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And I think by the implication of Scripture here that this group of ten men was probably a mixture. Jews and Samaritans. We know there was at least one Samaritan that came back. And what I find interesting here is leprosy, that disease rendered all of these men on the same playing field. <laughs> they, one couldn't say, well, I'm a Jew, you know, and I, I used to be a thriving doctor in the Jews. And I guess, well, I'm a Samaritan, and I had the biggest car lot, biggest donkey lot, you know, in all of Samaria. I was really somebody. No, these men really didn't matter what they were in life. They were all dead men. They were on the same level playing field. Their status in life, their educational level, none of that made any difference because they were condemned to death. They had leprosy and it was terminal. But when Jesus healed them, what happened? Only one, only one came back and gave thanks and glory to God. He'd recognized that they were helpless. They were in need. Remember the publican in Luke chapter 18, verse 13? Two men in the temple that were praying, the Pharisee and the publican. And what did the publican say? And he just smote upon his breast and he says, you know, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He would not even look up to heaven. He was asking and begging for God to be merciful. You know, thankful people recognize their shortcomings and admit their needs. But unthankful people, they don't have needs. They have rights. They have demands. And they become angry when they don't get what they think they deserve. 
But here, this man requested mercy. Thankful people don't expect mercy. Mercy is not something you expect. Mercy is something you beg for because it's not something you can demand. Fix me! Take care of me! I have needs! No, I have rights! You owe it to me! You know what that is? That's the attitude of welfare. And that is the scourge of welfare. When you receive that for which you will not work, you become lazy, dependent, entitled, demanding, and disgusting. That's all it is. I have rights. The government owes me. No, thankful people don't expect mercy. They humbly ask for it. And here this man, this leper, received mercy, received grace. Listen, thankful people receive grace, and they acknowledge, they acknowledge it. They acknowledge the giver. Thank you. That man came back, and he was so grateful. And he let Jesus know that what Jesus had just done for him meant a lot to him. Unthankful, unthankful people receive grace, and what do they do? They ignore it. The unbeliever gets out of bed in the, in the morning, and does he thank God for the new day? No. He doesn't even believe in God. The unbeliever goes out to his kitchen, and he takes the food, and he eats it, and he fills his belly, and he goes out with the energy, energy that he receives from the nutrition that he partakes of. And what does he do? He goes out and serves himself. No thought toward God. Romans chapter 1 talks about those who go down the path of reprobation. It says, neither were they thankful. They are not thankful. Here this, this leper, when he was healed, what happened? When he was healed, there's a turning point. There's a turning point right there. He recognized his unworthiness right there. He was healed. And immediately, what happened? What did he think? He knew he didn't deserve it. He knew he hadn't earned it. He hadn't been healed because of his status in society. No, he'd been healed simply because Jesus wanted to heal him. And he recognized that he was not worthy of being healed. There was no reason he should have been healed. There was no meritorious reason for him to have received healing. And he recognized that he was unworthy. That was the turning point. You know, thankful people see benefits as grace because they see themselves as undeserving. Deserving people don't get grace. They just get wages. Undeserving people receive grace. Unthankful people see benefits as good fortune or as merited in some way. And then, of course, this man, what does he do? He returns to give thanks. Not only was he undeserving, but he was a Samaritan outcast. He was a... Now, thankful people take the time to express gratitude and appreciation for benefits. But unthankful people, what do they do? 
They consume benefits and ignore the benefactor. My wife has this little poem. I don't know if she learned it from her dad or what, but she talks. So she goes, my name is Jimmy. I'll take all you gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And it's a silly little rhyme, but it's exactly that attitude. Gimme. And I take it and I want more. I deserve it. Unthankful people consume the benefits and ignore the benefactor. They ignore the giver. Now, how often do we consume the daily benefits that God gives us without a thought of gratitude? Psalm 68 and verse 19. Psalm 68, 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. There is not a moment in which we should not be expressing our thanksgiving to God. You know, over and over throughout the day, we ought to be thanking God for what he does for us because daily, the Bible says, he daily loadeth us with benefits. You know what it means to load someone with benefits? I'll tell you what it means. You know, when you you go to Dairy Queen and you order that soft serve cone, what I like about Dairy Queen is I'll ask for a large. And I watch that person and they pull that handle and it starts piling up and piling up and piling up. And they'll get a good six or seven inches of ice cream on that little cone. And let me tell you something, it is loaded. But if I went to, if I went to Dairy Queen and I got a little ice cream cone and went, bloop, didn't even fill the thing, I'd be looking at it thinking, where's the beef? You know, where's the ice cream and what's going on? But you know, God's not like that. It says he daily loadeth us with benefits. You, go through, you ever go through a cafeteria line with your plate and they put something and you're like, uh, can I get a, a little bit extra on that, you know? That's the thing I like about that mod pizza. You go and, you know, you kind of like a subway of pizza and you can get whatever you want on that pizza. And you go through the line, I'll, I'll have the meat, I'll take this and, hey, how about a little bit more? And, you know, they don't say, no, you, that's enough. No, they'll load it on until you say stop. And you can, and, Wow, it's, I love it because I can have a pizza just the way I want it. It's kind of like crossing, you know, the pizza place in Burger King. I'm having it my way. But, uh, but here's, here's God. It says he daily loadeth us with benefits. Listen, if you don't recognize that you're being loaded with benefits, your eyes aren't open or you are really ungrateful. Because God is not stingy with us. He daily loads us with benefits. Not just a couple. We are Blessed over and above. Daily lotus loads us with benefits. And we need to be careful that we don't have that welfare, welfare attitude of, what have you done for me lately? As believers, of course, we're commanded to and instructed by God to give thanks. Psalm 100, enter into his courts, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's how God wants us to come before him. 
I mean, I mentioned this uh, last Wednesday night, you know, wouldn't it be great if our kids, whenever they came in to see us in the morning, hey, mom and dad, good morning. I'm so thankful that for everything you've done for me. Thanks for providing. And, you know, if you were a parent and you woke up to that every day, you just couldn't help but smile from ear to ear. And, you know, kings in Bible times, there was, if you came in before the king and you were moping around and miserable, you could have been killed. Kings didn't allow that. When you came into the presence of the king, you were to be happy. You would have a smile on your face. You were to keep the king cheerful, even if you just lost your loved one. King didn't want to see a bunch of frowning, griping people in his, in his court. No. And you know what? What does God say? He says, hey, listen, when you come before me, you come with thanksgiving. You come with praise. And, you know, he can rightly demand that, and he should. And we ought to give it to him because everything we have is his grace. He shouldn't even have to tell us that, but he does because he knows the way we are. Now, let us come before him with Thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5.18, we're to be thankful in everything. He says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, our prayers are to be accompanied with what? Thanksgiving. Now, too often we come before God saying, God, it's Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. Give me, give me, give me. How are we supposed to come? With Thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let our request be made known to God. God says, yes, you, let, you, you, you ask. He commands us to ask. Yes, we are to ask, but we're also to ask with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Colossians 4 and verse 2 says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Listen, God enjoys hearing us give thanks. You know, what can we do for God? You ever think about that? God has everything. He owns it all. In one place in the psalm, he says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. The earth is mine. Everything is mine. I don't need anything. But you know what he delights in? He delights in our thanksgiving. You mean God wants me just to be thankful? Yes. And that thrills him when we're thankful. Commanded to give thanks and everything. Oh, how easy it is to give thanks when things go well. That's not complicated, but we need to give thanks in all things. And then, really, we need to be thankful not just for bounty and God's blessing, we think of material blessing, and that's easy. But you know what? We need to be thankful for what God does for us, even in the way of instruction and correction. God loves us. Of course, Hebrews 12, we talk about that in the Bible study. We're talking about God's correction, how we can trust Him, even in His chastening. You know, we're to be thankful for that. Easy to be thankful for the, for the, for the benefits and, and the blessings that we see, and maybe the physical blessings, but... You know, we need to be also thankful for the instruction and for the correction that we get. You know, it's important for our children to be taught that. Hey, when, they're, when they have to be chastised or when they're corrected, 
We need to teach them that that is something for which they need to even express thanks. When's the last time you spanked one of your kids and had them turn around and say, Dad, thanks, or Mom, thanks, I needed that. Yeah. You need to train them to do that. And if they understand the benefit of what you're doing, if you're training them and teaching them why you're doing what you're doing and they understand what's going on, guess what? They'll do that. It can happen. I'm not speaking of something that doesn't occur, but it's something that they have to learn. You know, we, we can thank the Lord for his correction, for the trials that he brings, uh, for the instruction that he gives. And he tells us to do that. Don't faint. Don't be weary. Don't complain. Just be thankful. Because God is working to bring about his holiness in your life. So again, here we are. It's Thanksgiving week. Some of you will have time off. Be thankful for that, certainly. More time with your family. That's always a blessing. But let us be thankful people. Let our lives be characterized by that, that sweet aroma, if I might put it that way, the sweet aroma, the fragrance of gratitude. Oh, how wonderful that is. And you know what it's like because there aren't very many people like that. But when you're around them, it's like a breath of fresh air. Someone who's truly thankful and grateful. Listen, that'll be the way we're, that, that'll be that which characterizes our lives. Let's be thankful. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the benefits that you load upon us. Lord, we thank you for the instruction that we receive in Scripture. Lord, help us to not be filled with pride, with the attitude of, Lord, that we deserve that which you give to us. But Lord, may we be so thankful that we do not receive that which we deserve, but rather we receive the gifts of your grace and your mercy. And Lord, help us to express that, not just to you, but Lord, to those around us. Lord, may we be characterized by thankfulness, by gratitude, We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.